Virginia defense, so they're also black and yellow, so I thought that appropriately applied. Uh, this is the Dynasty Pulse podcast. Coincidentally, we are the favorite podcast of former NFL quarterback Tony Banks. I am Joshua Johnson. With me, as always, is Nick Hale to the Redskins. Wagner, Nick, what's up, buddy? Oh, not much, Josh. Uh, I was really happy to see that Doug Baldwin got paid this week, uh, especially considering the fact that, you know, Doug Baldwin pretty much led me to a fantasy championship in one of my leagues last, last year. So I don't know if that makes me a huge dork or if that's normal, but either way, good good for him for getting paid. Uh, yes, you you both benefited. So you both, you both earned it, you should say. And he helped you. Uh, I don't know. I don't know where I'm going there, but um, – uh, like I said, Jed's going to be joining us here in just a few minutes. Uh, he uh, is the West Virginia Mountaineer sideline reporter for IMG College and the uh, publisher of the Signal Caller, which is a Big 12 preview magazine. So he's going to talk to us about some of the high bred players, of course, namely a couple West Virginia guys and how they're going to uh, translate here at the next level. Hopefully give you you IDP guys a little bit of insight on on a couple of these guys. I'm already excited about Joseph myself, but uh, and I, but I actually believe in KJ too. I think he could do some pretty good pretty good things here in that uh, in that Houston scheme as he's not there's not going to be a lot of pressure on him and he probably won't have to start right away. So, but I think he'll he'll blossom into something special there. Um, and so Doug Baldwin got paid. Any other any other big news out there, Nick, that you wanted to mention? top of the show? I uh, can't think of anything. I was getting a little tired of seeing Johnny Manziel on every other headline, but <laughs> other than that, it's kind, of a, it's kind of a slow news time in the NFL. And he was apparently on his way to Cabo and wearing the Josh Gordon jersey. I thought that was kind of kind of funny, yeah. but also appropriate. Um, <laughs> oh, yes. Johnny, Johnny Manziel. Um, Couple, couple things. Oh, I, I, I know what I did. I had, a, I had an absolutely proud dad moment the other night. Um, I, as, as I've said many times before, I'm, I'm a huge NHL fan, and uh, the NHL draft was last weekend. And my, my son has really started grafting towards hockey, as that is the sport that he also plays. So, uh, I got home from work, and he's like. Hey, Dad, did you hear the Red Wings drafted this kid from Minnesota? I'm like, yeah, yeah, you know, I of course checked on that and see how my team how my team did in the first round, and and then I went up to his room and 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 he's watching YouTube. I'm like, what are you watching? He's like, oh, so his favorite team is the Vancouver Canucks. I don't know why. I don't know how that ever came about. I think it's probably just Roberto Roberto Luongo's fault. But anyway, he's like, oh, I'm watching film on uh, the guy that. Vancouver drafted in the first round. So it's just like, oh, that's exactly what I would do. And I hadn't. I was going to go. I was going upstairs to watch film on the guy that the Redskins draft. So he he was already uh, already scouting the uh, the new player. I of course can't remember or pronounce that hockey player's name. So uh, uh, just just a proud dad moment there. No matter no matter what the sport, knowing that he was uh, doing a little scouting of his own after uh, after Vancouver got uh, got. Got their first round pick out of the way, so I I, I just I thought that was uh, appropriate, and uh, maybe maybe he's going to replace me on the Dynasty Pulse one day. Maybe the maybe we'll have to start at a hockey warehouse. 
Uh, but anyway, yeah, proud, proud dad moment there. Jed should be calling in here in just a second. Um, did you? I obviously am a big part of social media. That's kind of what I, what I do here. Um, when I'm not doing the podcast or preparing for the podcast, I'm out. I'm out there sharing all of our articles, hoping to get get some clicks and help to get people to read them. But you know, there's all kind. People post the stupidest stuff all day, <laughs> and these like these fake news. This one, he's still there. Hello. Hey, there we are. Can you hear me, Josh? And I lost you again. Nick, are you there? I am. Can you hear me? Yes. Um, sorry about that. I don't. I don't know what happened. Um, hopefully, Jed's going to call back in on on the on the other number here. Um, I think I know what happened, but I'm not sure. Did you hear this report? I'm going to text Jed. Nick, did you hear this report about Joe Flacco was dead? Somebody apparently hacked the 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 Baltimore Ravens website and said that uh, he is dead. Or the guy got in a four wheel driving accident. Did you hear about this? Yeah, yeah, I heard uh, a number of different hackings going around the NFL. It seems like. Hello, Nick, are you still there? Yep, I am. Can you hear okay. me? Yep. Yeah. Hold. On. Yeah. One second here. I just got a text. Oh, there we go. Jed, are you there? Yeah, I'm back here. I'm very sorry, Jed. I don't think we were we were live when you were talking because you because you called my other phone. Are you okay if we start over again? Oh, yeah, go ahead. I, I got another okay. couple minutes here. I got I got to get in here in just a few minutes. Okay, cool. Well, well you were, you were talking about uh, about Carl Joseph. Why don't you just uh, Talk about his translation there from the uh, from the bandit position, please. Well, Carr really transformed his game after his junior year. Uh, I mean, I, I don't want to say he was a one-dimensional player for the first three years of his career because he was wildly effective, but uh, the physicality he brought as a downhill force uh, was, was really unparalleled. I mean, it was it was unlike anything you saw from a consistency standpoint. He was consistent as consistently vicious as a hitter as any player I've seen in recent years in college football. I mean, he would he would rack up the type of hits with regularity each week that most kids only get once or twice in their career. He committed himself in the offseason between his junior and senior years uh, to really rounding out his game as a more complete safety, as a guy who could truly play in space and enhance his coverage skills. And once he committed to doing that, he became incredibly effective at it. Uh, I mean, this is a kid who had five interceptions in four games before the injury cut his uh, season short, cut his career short for that matter, uh, and had a couple more turnovers on top of that, but didn't lose anything in the form of that physicality. But in addition to that, unlike a lot of vicious hitters, uh, Carl didn't sacrifice anything in the way of tackling. I mean, he was a very sound tackler. Uh, You'll see a lot of guys leave their feet to make these highlight tape uh, hits. Carl was a guy who was somehow still able to very much come in under control, but absolutely just dislodge people from what they were trying to do. He was just so physical, but so under control, and it was it was special to watch. Uh, and then once he added the ball skills, and I, I mean, I often say that he might own the single most impressive statistic I've ever seen. And that is against uh, – he had three interceptions in the season opener in one quarter against Georgia Southern. So it's not like he did it against Texas Tech. I mean, he did it against Georgia Southern. Who intercepts three passes in a, in a game against Georgia Southern, much less in a quarter? They don't throw the football. But he did that, uh, and it really set the tone for what was going to become a, a pretty crazy stretch for those final four games of his career. I just wish that we could have watched – his career play out for the duration of his senior year in the final 12, 13 games uh, instead of just the final four games of his senior season because uh, he was on pace to do things that we haven't seen done. Uh, but he transformed himself into an absolutely complete football player on that back end. Okay. Um, is there uh, any anybody else coming coming this year for the for your West Virginia in the same defense that we need to need to know about? 
Well, we're young. Uh, we're young. Uh, when you look at it, uh, most of our leading tacklers are gone. Most of the guys who got most of the reps are gone. Uh, we lost five or six senior linebackers, so not just starters, but also some reserves. Um, but at least what we have going for us is not from an individual standpoint, but collectively we have some guys that have played, uh, and they've played with the scheme for, for Tony Gibson. So the fact that they've been around the horn, the fact that they have played and they have seen the field and they do understand the scheme. I mean, we've got some defensive leaders, uh, and we think we can lean on a veteran defensive line. Uh, and even on the back end, we've got some guys like Drayvon Askew Henry, uh, who is the free safety now. Uh, but, but when you look at things, uh, again, it's going to be to replace a Carl Joseph who, who occupied that weak safety spot. Uh, it's just going to be difficult to replace that. Uh, and, and, you know, you had a guy, I would even say that Drayvon Askew Henry's game was impacted by Carl Joseph because a year ago when Drayvon was playing that free spot in roaming center field, he knew he could count on Carl and vice versa. So uh, that impacted his game. Uh, but then he had to emerge as a leader on that back end for us, so that will probably help us moving forward into 2016 as well. We have some guys. We probably just don't have that established depth is what we'll be looking for. Okay. Uh, Nick, do you have any questions there about uh, KJ or Carl? Uh, yeah, well, as a sideline reporter, you have a pretty unique perspective as far as getting to see the demeanor of the players as they're coming off the field and, you know, studying while the other units on the field and whatnot. Are there any observations on Carl Joseph or any of the later round guys as far as that goes? You know, for example, are they vocal leaders, that type of thing? Uh, well, that was the beauty of that defense last year, and that was the beauty of our team last year, was we did have a lot of very solid senior leadership. and. One of the things that jumps to mind that I even wrote about this in my magazine this year was I remember before the Cactus Bowl against Arizona State, I remember K.J. Dillon rounding the defense up. And the way the locker rooms broke out, uh, it's just the nature of playing a bowl game at a baseball facility. Sometimes it's less than ideal in terms of the locker room quarters. Well, the defense was a few feet down the hall from the offense. We, we had slightly separate quarters. You know, Dana brought the whole team together before we went on the field. But K.J. was in the uh, defensive locker room. Uh, and, and basically gave this impassioned plea uh, to the defense. Hey, this is our last ride together. Uh, this program has come to mean so much to me. I mean, it was, it was very stirring. It was very riveting. It was very moving. Uh, and it was said as much to to the guys in that room because I, I think he knew this was their last run and what it meant to them for the last three and a half, four years to ride together and bleed together and sweat together. Uh, but he that was the kind of kid he was. Uh, he was a very outspoken, emotional leader, uh, Carl was a bit more reserved, led by example, but I think the impact of Carl's injury, uh, it, it continued to resonate on the field as well because those guys wanted to get some things done for Carl. So uh, when you look at this football team, uh, Nick Kwiatkowski is another guy that comes to mind as a leader. Uh, we, we had great senior leadership at large on that defensive side of the football in particular. For the football team entirely, but more specifically on the defensive side. So I think that uh, those guys moving on to the NFL Mountaineer fans are very excited to see how this plays out for those guys. Um, just, I guess, I'm not sure what we got and what we did earlier there, but what, as far as what, again, just if you just want to tell us what Carl and KJ are what like kind of what positions they'll be able to play? What uh, what where how they will fit into their respective teams? And any any thoughts there, Boyle Eagle? Well, what's going to happen is in, in the modern game, uh, you're looking for some some interchangeability on that back end, especially with your safeties. Uh, you're going to need guys that are physical enough to set the edge and play the run and play downhill. And obviously, Carl and KJ can both do that, and they can both do it uh, in a big way. Uh, but you're also going to need guys uh, to be able to play in space or to be smart enough football players to understand zone concepts and play zone coverage. I, I think that they're going to they're bring the full complement to the table for both the Texans in the case of KJ and the Raiders in the case of Carl. And in the modern game, you're sometimes going to be asked to step down and play on a slot you're sometimes going to be asked to match up against the tight end and set the edge against the power run game. So I think these are two guys with the skill set and the physicality and the ability and the aptitude to do all those types of things. So I think they fit the game, the modern game, very well. Okay. Uh, Nick, Nick, any last questions there? 
Well, you mentioned that uh, last year's Mountaineer squad had a lot of great senior leadership. Uh, you know, now that you've lost all that, all those seniors, is that a big concern for this year, or do you think there's a, uh, enough guys there who can fill that void? Well, we're going to go through a transition on the defensive side of the football. There's no doubt about it. You don't lose the, the level and volume of kids that we lost uh, without going through some kind of hiccups and growing pains. But I like the fact that on that side of the football, at least the kids that we have coming back, even though they weren't necessarily regular starters, they understand the system. They've been through the system with Coach Gibson. On the offensive side, we have tremendous uh, veteran leadership coming back. So maybe we need to lean and skew a little more offensively this year as that defense starts to cut its teeth and find its way. Um, can, one more question here that I just, I just thought of as you were talking. What This this might be uh, the, the last uh, – chance for Mr. Uh, Geno Smith there in New York as there nothing seems to be going with Fitzpatrick and any thoughts any thoughts there if he's given the position now it's it's difficult to say what's going to play out there and I remember I had some concerns when the Jets drafted Geno uh I mean for a young quarterback you, you want a guy to step into a situation that's ideal and by ideal mean you're going to surround him with a wealth of offensive talent you're going to make investments to that end uh, what he was drafted into, and I'm a Rex Ryan guy, okay, I'm a Rex Ryan guy, uh, but it just seems that most of the Jets' investments at that point at least, uh, and I don't mean to speak out of turn, they, they seem to have been made on the defensive side of the football uh, from a drafting standpoint in, in previous years, from a free agent acquisition standpoint in recent years, uh, and it wasn't until after the acquisition of Gina that they started to try and make a move to the offensive side of the football a bit. So, again, you kind of anticipated a little bit of painful, a few painful moments for a young quarterback being inserted into an environment like that, and that's not ideally what you want to see somebody step into. Uh, but you got to hit what's pitched. you got to make the most of your opportunities. Uh, now it's just a matter of uh, Gino trying to fight through this, win that job back, and then make the most of it. Uh, because uh, you're going to have some, some veterans in that room. You're going to also have some young talent in that room. That's, that's the nature of the beast at the, at the next level. You're going to be playing and competing against the best in the world, uh, whether that's on the other sidelines or whether it's in your own meeting room. So uh, you've got to make the most of it, and there's going to be some opportunities there, but you've got to capitalize on those opportunities. Okay. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Again, it's uh, Jed Drenning, uh, West Virginia sideline reporter for IMG College and the publisher of the Signal Caller Big 12 Preview Magazine. If you want to order that magazine, you just click on the name here in the podcast right up later today, and you can go right there, put in your credit card number, and the Jed will send it to you personally, right? That's right. That's right. All right, cool. Thank you so much, Jed. We, we appreciate you, and hopefully we can have you back here. Thank you, guys. You have a good one now. We'll see you. Yep. Okay, well, I'm sorry about the mishap, and if you filtered through about 20 minutes of silence on uh, on this, I, we thank you. Uh, I hopefully it'll be edited out, uh, but I should stop talking about. It. Anyway, um, I'm very sorry about that, Nick. I, uh, yeah, we I will fix that issue in the future. What what just happened there? I'm not not quite sure, but I have a, have a great idea. So if you if you missed something, like I said, I hope it was edited out. But anyway. Good stuff from Jed. Uh, hopefully we gave you a little bit on Carl and, and KJ. And, you know, that's kind of the, the trend we've seen, these, these hybrid players. You know, there's there's another guy in the pipeline by, by the name of Jalen Reeves Maben from the University of Tennessee. He's going to be getting a lot of those uh, comparisons, much like uh, uh, Sua Cravens and I think Eric Stryker next year, too, as they wrote about both of those guys, I uh, wrote about, a lot of those guys here in my in my recent uh, Debbie report, my last Debbie report. So I hope, hope you read that. Uh, got a new article up today about Carlos Hyde. I really uh, really enjoyed that from a new writer. So make sure you keep keep stay tuned to that. We uh, uh, doing doing some good things. A lot of a lot of new talent on staff here. So make sure you stay tuned to see what we have to say every every day. Um, Nick, what? Uh, so yeah, I was trying in between all that mess, trying to bang on people for posting fake stories. Joe Flacco is dead. Uh, another one that was Vaughn Miller was traded straight up for Colin Kaepernick. <laughs> and there's another one, like, yesterday about the Bears uh, swapping Kaepernick and Cutler. So I I just said, come on, Twitter. I mean, I don't get – if you're just maybe just trying to drive clicks to your site, that's okay. But, I mean, 
I, 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 just, I think they're these fake stories. I don't know. They they just bother me. Don't you think so, Nick? They're just stupid. I don't get what the point is or what they're getting out of it. Yeah, I, I don't really understand it either. That's why I usually try to wait for the notifications on my phone or, you know, see the story on a reputable website before I really, you know, lose my mind over a news story. Yeah, yeah, very good points. Um, yeah, I just, that's, that was kind of funny. Uh, I, the Flacco one got me for a second. Because <laughs> uh, the Dynasty team that I have him on, I'm like, oh, my gosh, that team – my quarterback sucked anyway, and he's my best of the bunch. And I was just like, oh, man, that sucks. Uh, but then, obviously, I read further. Um, today is the return of plant your flag or wash your hands. We kind of did a little bit of a this in our divisional reviews, but I thought um, we'd dive back into it. Um, uh, and this also just popped into my head. Nick, can you believe this is podcast number 76? For me and you at DFW, that's that's crazy. Doesn't seem like we should have that many already, but we have. Um, so this plant your flag or wash your hands. We're just going to talk about some quarterbacks and some running backs today. Um, or the phrase you might actually hear a lot too is if you have the roster space, blah blah blah. So uh, what do you, what do you think? This first one is is a doozy. I think it's the question that's been gonna gonna keep go, coming up as the summer bores on. Ryan Fitzpatrick, what do you think about Nick? Plant your flag or, or wash in your hands. I mean, if he's flying somewhere, he seems to be worthy, right? I think so. And, you know, I want to preface this segment on quarterbacks that, you know, if any of these guys are your QB2 and you don't have a starter as your QB3, you need to have two starting quarterbacks. So all the quarterbacks we're going to discuss, I'm going to assume that you're, they are the, your third quarterback on your roster. So with uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick missing all the offseason, I think right now I would plant my flag, and then when he re-signs, then I would wash my hands, try to trade him away. You know, he had 3,900 yards and 31 scores. You'd think somebody's going to want to trade for that. But, you know, what with missing all the offseason, I do see those numbers going down somewhat. But I do think, still think he has value. So I'm not washing my hands until he re-signs. Good point. Um, and you can – you can try to be the smart one if you actually get uh, get somebody to bite on a trade for him and the fact that, you know, he had his best career ever, but he also never had a winning season up to this point. Oh, and by the way, he had two pretty damn good wide receivers. Um, and, you know, geez, if he, gets, if he gets going in that Jets offense, I think you could actually hold out and try to get a little bit more for him because uh, obviously he'd be returning with those wide receivers, plus a a fellow by the name of Matt Forte, who is older, but still uh, certainly an all right player in his own right there. So yeah, it's, it's a weird situation because you just don't know what, uh, where he's going to go. I mean, obviously I would be really surprised if it was anybody else besides the Jets at this point. I mean, everybody has seemed to have, uh, their plan uh, in place, and you know, unless the Redskins need a backup, Nick. But uh, uh, you, you also wonder what kind of, you know, considering the contract he wants, you know, who's going to have room for it? It's not like anybody, anybody out there is just holding eight million dollars that they want to give to Ryan Fitzpatrick, and certainly going to be a one-year deal, I think, if it, if it ever does happen here. Um, what do you think about uh, Geno Smith? We actually obviously heard uh, Jed talk about him a little bit, and like, like, I mean, like, I don't know. One thing that I thought when I wrote Geno Smith down is any is there any starting quarterback really drop worthy? I mean, if he's if he's the starter, obviously we know Geno's not. Even if he's the starter week one, we know that isn't safe. We know he's not, you know, in a safe place with Hackenberg and and Bryce Petty there as well. But I mean, if he's the starting quarterback, you you you, it's, it seems weird to drop him. Obviously, it depends on your league size too. What do you think? 
Yeah, I agree with you. I'm, I'm going to try to wash my hands. Like you said, I'm not going to drop him, but I am going to try to trade him, especially right now before Ryan Fitzpatrick resigns. Because once that, if that happens, Geno Smith loses all value. Uh, and like you mentioned, you know he's going to have a short leash with uh, last year's fourth rounder Bryce Petty and this year's second rounder Hackenberg around. Uh, Eleven and eighteen as a starter, twenty-seven touchdowns to thirty-five interceptions. He's just yeah. You know, He's not a guy I want to trust. So, like I said, I'm going to wash my hands and try to trade him for a late-round pick next year or something like that. Sure. Well, and, you know, here's how people in our 16 team treated him. Uh, I think there was eight, maybe, eight or I should have looked this up officially, but I'm going to say there's eight rookie quarterbacks drafted in our rookie draft, and we could draft veterans throughout, and Geno Smith – who's essentially the only starting quarterback left after the draft, was not picked at all. I, I picked him up via via the, the waiver wire just because, you know, with 16 teams, we only start one quarterback, but you still want to have a, a, a nice backup plan or at least some backup plan if you're a starter. Uh, I guess that's what we'll call Geno Smith is some kind of backup plan. Uh, but, you know, it's certainly at this point, if you have, you know, roster dynasty rosters typically swell during the off season before you have to make a roster cut. So if he's out there and you can claim him for a buck, you know, it's not, not the end of the world. We'll talk about, talk about that a little bit later as we talk about what you should be doing during the off season. But we don't know as as of now, it looks like he's, he's locked into a a spot. So maybe, uh, you know, it's just not a bad idea. Just, just to, if you have the roster spot spots or since they're swelling, just to, just to claim him because, you know, you know, we stranger things have happened. I'm not saying he's going to come out and be Russell Wilson, but he could certainly, especially in a best ball format, maybe maybe where they couple weeks. Now, Tyrod Taylor. What do you think about Mr. Tyrod Taylor, Nick? You know, he had a fairly decent year last year, and uh, especially I think if your league gets if running quarterbacks, some quarterbacks you get to. You get more points for for rushing yards there. So, what, what do you think about Geno Smith? Or excuse me, Tyrod Taylor. Well, I, I really like Tyrod Taylor, and you know he's pretty much a lock as a 2016 starter. You know his only competition is Cardale Jones and EJ Manuel. I don't think either of those guys are really ready to be a starter. So, I, I really like him. But if he's my QB three and I can get good value for him, I'm going to wash my hands. Uh, you know, lots of guys have had one good year, and then defenses get off season to watch film on them and figure them out. You know, from Nick Foles to Robert Griffin, there's just a Long, long list of one-year quarterbacks. You know, I, I think he could be good. He definitely has a chance to be. Uh, he's 20 touchdowns, so only six interceptions last year. Plus, he's got pretty good talent around him with a guy like Sammy Watkins and a really good backfield. But there's rumors that the head coach, Ryan, could be gone if they don't make the playoffs. And with New England in the same division, it's pretty tough to make the playoffs. Uh, there's just too much uncertainty in his future. Uh, and the first thing I would do is definitely see if the Sammy Watkins owner in my league is quarterback needy and, you know, see if he wants to pair that, them up. Mm-hmm. Well, and like I talked about earlier with Gino, I, the couple leagues that I got Tyrod in, I uh, I claimed him essentially for either a dollar or zero dollars on the waiver wire last summer just because, you know, there was rumors floating that Rex really likes this guy. He ended up being their starter, and he had a pretty good year. I'm not saying that same thing is going to happen to Geno Smith, but it's, it's certainly possible. And, you know, Tyrod had a had a season much like RG3's rookie year, and and much like Russell Wilson as well. I mean, they, he's he's that that type of player. Obviously, there is a uh, a huge uh, area in terms of how. Both of those guys have careers have gone since that point, but uh, you know Tyrod is certainly a veteran who uh, finally got a chance to prove himself, and I think I think guys like prove themselves certainly could flourish. I mean, look at a guy like Rich Gannon and what uh, what he went through to finally get that starting position, and now he went on to to have you know an MVP type of season. Again, I'm not saying Tyrod's going to do that, but I just feel like he's a definitely a player I feel a lot more comfortable with just because he's had to fight for this opportunity and when he finally got it he looked pretty good but like Nick said you know defenses could could strike him down too what do you think about Matt Asiata um maybe the Vikings just re-upping him for one one year again says it all but what do you think Nick 
Yeah, he's the guy I'm going to wash my hands on. He's the RB3 on a team where the RB1 takes 90% of the carries. And the running back number two, Jarek McKinnon, seems to be firmly entrenched there as the RB2 and also being groomed to be the future uh, starting running back. You know, in my mind, really, if McKinnon and Haziata were viewed as a top-notch one-two punch, they would have probably cut ties with Adrian Peterson after he got in trouble. So, you know, while I would try to buy McKinnon, I think, at a fair price, I would look to sell Matt Haziata. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think anybody's selling McKinnon at this point. But you know, I I own Asiata in one league. It was a startup, and I grabbed him late because I have AP. And what what what's going to happen? You know, we saw it when AP missed that year, and that's one thing to I think not not should not be short um, filled short short on. You know what I mean? On on AP, is he missed a whole year. So when you bang on his age, remember that. I mean, I know, I know I'm not the first person to say that, but let's not forget that now that we're past that. But I I, I got Asiata late just because I have AP. And if AP gets hurt for some reason, sure, McCar- McCar- McKinnon is probably the the RB one. But we've seen we've seen Asiata rush for thirty yards in a game and score two or three touchdowns. I mean, so we. He could be that touchdown vulture if, if you need him late. I especially, especially, I think if you own AP, he's a nice guy to have on your roster. The oops, you know, just just in case type of player. Not sure why I said oops there. What do you think about Denard Robinson? He's, maybe his uh, ship has finally finally sailed. But what do you think, Dick? Yeah, he's a guy I'm going to wash my hands on. He always seems to be nursing injuries. And, you know, teams' off-season moves can signal an organization's distrust of one of their current players. And you look at Jacksonville last year, added T.J. Yeldon. This year they added Chris Ivory. So that seems to me that they don't really trust Denard Robinson. And if his own team doesn't trust him to be a, you know, quality running back, then really why should you, right? Yeah, yeah, most definitely. Um, Couldn't agree. Couldn't agree with you there more. I mean, they're not – they're not going to bring in veteran type of players if they, if they're if they're comfortable in their situation. So that you know, like you said, that kind of, that kind of says it all there. Um, kind of thinking of making a Chris Ivory somewhere between Chris Ivory and I suppose Brandon Jacobs comparison with uh, with Matt Asiata, but uh, again, only if you own AP. Um, what do you think about Brandon Oliver? Now, we we saw some pretty good things for him, and then he, he missed most of last year, so that's a little bit up in the air. What, what are your thoughts there? Well, I'm going to plant my flag here. Uh, you know, maybe Mr. Zero Touchdowns, Melvin Gordon, has a sophomore surprise in store for us, but personally I kind of doubt it. And, you know, the RB2 there in San Diego, Danny Woodhead, is both an injury risk and better served as being a third down back. So, to me, Oliver is one of the rare RB3s on a team who I think should be universally rostered. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and one thing they they use all those backs, which is important to to remember. So even you know even if he's only seeing five or six touches a game, that that's you know maybe maybe he's he's fighting those touchdowns. And I know um, I know uh, Woodhead saw saw the majority of the uh, the red zone goal line work last last year but uh that was because oliver is hurt oliver certainly i think could be he's he's a third down back and i understand woodhead's kind of the same type of thing but they're different third down backs and i i also feel like oliver's maybe a little bit better running the ball between the tackles so we'll see how they how that mix comes in there too but yeah you know he's the guy that i've considered dropping here and there, but I'm also own Melvin Gordon in that league, so it, it's nice, I think, to to have that backup plan in place. Um, of course, you could end up in a situation where you have Justin Forsett and Buck Allen as well, and who knows what anything we're going to get out of any of those guys this year. But uh, it's not not a bad idea to if if you know a scheme like that is going to use all those backs, if you can get you know the backup or even the backup to the backup, it's it's not a bad idea. Uh, Ronnie Hillman. Um, I think he was another one-year deal by Denver. What do, you, what do you think there, Nick? 
Uh, I believe you're correct. I think he was a one-year deal. And uh, But, you know, you look at the Denver backfield, C.J. Anderson got paid. Uh, they drafted Devontae Booker. So there just doesn't really appear to be much work left for Elman. If they really liked Elman, they would have given him more than a one-year deal. Uh, I personally wouldn't wouldn't cut him yet, but if you can use him as part of a bigger trade, that's what I would try to do with Ronnie Hillman if I owned him right now. Or, you know, like the other names Nick mentioned there, if you can, you know, throw him in part of a deal to somebody that owns CJ or our Booker. That's, that's not a bad, bad idea either. Um, he's probably, is he just a couple years, at least a couple years more in the league, I believe than, than Anderson though. But yeah, again, with those teams sending those one year deals, it's, it's certainly says a lot about that and what, what they can do. And you, you know, when these guys move on to another team, you know, it's important to look at, who the offensive coordinator is or, or who the head coach is. Have, has that player played for this particular coach before? So when, when, you know, Hillman's in free agency next year, again, we'll see, we'll see what, uh, what, what comes about, but it's also, if, if they're going somewhere where they haven't, they haven't played before, or haven't, you know, been with that type of coaching staff, it's really not a, not a good, ideal situation as they're, basically just a huge fallback plan there so uh yeah I, I think i'm pretty pretty okay with cutting hillman but i would wait till the roster cuts as i would certainly try to trade him to one of those guys that owns booker or anderson at this point so um each and every week we like to do a little thing that we like to call nick rants it's where i give my co-host the floor to kind of rant about something that's bothering him or uh on his mind um apparently mr james harrison has some words, to put it lightly, for the uh, commission. What do you think? What do you got for us, Nick? Well, I've always had a bit of a rebellious streak, so I love it when people stick it to the man, so to speak. Uh, so, of course, I love James Harrison's <laughs> recent statement regarding the league's desire to interview all the players named in Al Jazeera's PED story. Uh, Harrison basically said that he's never been bullied before and won't start now, but since he does want to protect the NFL's image, he would agree to an interview if it occurs before training camp at his house and with the commissioner, Goodell Prevett. Now, as the NFL Players Association has been making the case that the players shouldn't have to be interviewed without more evidence than a news story where the source has since recanted his statements, an argument could be made that Harrison is actually being more compliant than rebellious. But I would guess that given how much the league tries to control every aspect of players' lives, the commission likely viewed Harrison's statement as somewhere between a challenge and a slap in the face. So really, you know, it seems like Harrison is in some ways having his cake and eating it too. He's appearing to the fans to be willing to talk, but agreeing in such a confrontational way that the league is unlikely to meet his demands. And hopefully the league does refuse because really if they had real evidence that wrongdoing took place, then these players would already have been so As Mike Florio, who as a former lawyer knows a heck of a lot more about the CBA than I do, uh, wrote, the NFL players Association should say the players have no obligation to say anything unless they're appealing a suspension that's already been handed down by the league. There's no reason that players should be compelled to possibly incriminate themselves if the league can't find enough external external evidence to punish them. Don't you think, Josh? Yeah, yeah, I I, I agree with you there. I think there's yeah, I feel like I don't know that I don't know if the NFL actually. Is seeks players out to punish them. But, yeah, I I kind of, like you said, I like the, the statements and I like the fact that he's trying to go out there and, uh, uh, you know, stick it to the man, so to speak. I, I, I certainly like like that aspect there. So, yeah, um, as always, interesting interesting story as Nick likes to, like I've said before, Nick likes to find those, <laughs> those stories that kind of slip through the cracks much like uh, – Lewis Black, um, and that's why we continue to do that because it's so much, uh, so much fun there. But um, um, Carl Joseph's score number forty-two, by the way, for the Raiders. Um, speaking of numbers, uh, we're not there yet. Um, Dynasty dilemma time, Nick. Um, we do this every week as well. We put two players against each other, and I, I personally thought this was going to be a little bit. Uh, closer, a little bit, maybe more of a discussion to uh, my Twitter poll speaks otherwise, but you had the chance to go first, Nick, so I'll start, I'll stop blabbing and let, uh, let you go ahead. Uh, what do you got for us uh, on Mr. Tyler Lockett? 
Well, normally I spend half the dilemma tearing apart your player, and then sometimes I've torn down <laughs> your guy so far that all I have to say is to defend my guy as well. At least he's not that bad. But I'm not going to do that this week. All I'm going to say about Kenneth Dixon is that we haven't seen him play yet, and we may not for a while. As crowded as Baltimore's backfield is, yes, he's likely going to beat out Talia Farrow and Trent Richardson. But in shape, Terrence West, Buck Allen, and especially Justin Forsett, those guys aren't going to be as easy to pass on the depth chart. So now on to Tyler Lockett. DSW's Alan Satterley recently broke down how Seattle's wide receivers were actually the best in the league last year, and by a pretty wide margin. Based on catch rate percentage, three of the top seven receivers in the NFL were Seahawks, with Lockett ranked at number four, uh, 75% catch rate. Uh, the number one in the league was Doug Baldwin at 75.7%, by the way. Uh, Alan's article was a great read, by the way. I highly recommend it. It came out June 18th if you want to look it up on the DFW site. But you know what? DSW guys like Allen and Burgundy aren't the only ones that are super high on Lockett. NFL writer Matt Harmon tracks a stat called success rate versus coverage, which categorizes routes into 11 categories, such as screen, corner route, post route, etc. And what percentage did the wide receiver beat the coverage? His worst route, he graded at 55%, which was better than three of Doug Baldwin's route grades. But he was good to grade at everything else. 80% success on outs, uh, almost 89% on corner and comeback routes. Those are just a couple examples. And he had between a 75 to 76% rate uh, success rate versus man, zone, and press coverages. These stats tell us that Tyler Lockett is already one of the more well-rounded receivers in the league. And while all shorter receivers inevitably draw the Antonio Brown comparisons, Lockett actually has a chance to be that kind of player in a year or two, especially considering how Russell Wilson's play continues to evolve. And normally I ignore coach and teammates praising guys in the offseason, like Lockett has received from Doug Baldwin and Pete Carroll recently, but this may be an instance where there is substance behind the fluff. And it also doesn't hurt that Lockett has said that he's been lining up against all-world cornerback Richard Sherman 95% of the time in camp and getting all sorts of feedback from the Wiley vet. That sort of thing could be invaluable to a young player's development. So really the only knock on Lockett is that his owner may know these things already and probably is not going to be willing to let go of a player with that kind of upside. What do you got, Josh? Uh, first off, damn you, Matt Harmon and Alan Satterley. Um, but <laughs> I will like to tell you, and I, we should have got Alan since he's helping you out on this matter. I would like to tell you after after I wrote the, the uh, Kenneth Dixon scouting report for pre the pre-draft report uh alan does consider dixon to be a can't miss prospect and i would assume he's still still in that realm even considering the uh the crowded backfield but we'll get to that so recently i saw that lockett and dixon went right next to each other in a startup mock that i was doing which is basically why i chose this forward dilemma i did not expect but was not totally surprised by the overwhelming that Lockett receives. Is it just a wide receiver versus running back thing? Does anyone who owned Lockett consider him more than their wide receiver three at this point? I own him in a 16-team league, and that is exactly where I am at with him. But based on the Twitter backlash I received, and obviously Alan and Matt as well, uh, sounds like Tyler Lockett is basically the son of God, or at the very least going to be twice as good as Antonio Brown. And, well, and he'll probably double Doug Baldwin's 14, touch, 14 receiving touchdowns from 2015 this year, right? Sure, Lockett's going to catch 28 touchdowns. Uh, okay, if, if you want to bang on Dixon's college competition, that is fine. But don't forget, Lockett comes from the Big 12 where nobody played defense, has no played defense for years. Uh, Dixon is built like an NFL running back. He's 5'10", 215 pounds. Now, I not trying to be sizist in the way I, I, I evaluate players, but that is the perfect mold for running backs. That is Ladanian Tomlinson type of running back. And I'm not I yeah. While Lockett is an undersized game at five ten, one eighty three. He doesn't fit the mold, but because he's small, everybody would say, Well he could be Antonio Brown. Dixon is in a crowded backfield, but the talent his talent will exceed expectations, and I think he will lock down the starting position sometime this season. He also is a well-rounded back, and in this, the PPR world, those RBs that can catch have extra value. My outlandish comparison for Dixon is 
is somewhere between uh, in the vein of Matt Forte versus Ray Rice. So, uh, somewhere in there, I think that's the kind of player. Ray Rice, the player, I should say. I think Lockett, will Lockett have a longer career? Maybe. But I think it, I think that is not certain. And I own a couple Lockett copies, so I'm not, I don't wish him any ill will. And I would love to see him approach Antonio Brown's level, but I'm also real. I regretted the entire month of May that I did not get my hands on a copy of Dixon. Why? Because I basically believe that he will be an annual top end RB. Can't miss prospect, as Mr. Allen said. Uh, I'm not saying he's going to be better than Ezekiel Elliott or even Derek Henry, who I hold both in great, who I both hold in high regard. Um, and I'm not going to regurgitate the Dixon and the Trestman scheme like everyone else, but I will go one step further into the great beyond and say I think Dixon is actually system-proof. He's a well-rounded player, like I said before, and I think he can flourish no matter the offense. I've also seen him buck the – I think he'll buck the RB3 uh, trend and be a successful player. Uh, Excuse me, he'll buck the RBs the three-year RB window trend and be a successful player, probably until he's 28 or even 30 years old. Um, can I get an odd hush there, Nick? <sighs> that was odd. Um, not as loud <laughs> as I would hope. But that's okay. I, yeah, like I said, I think he's going to be that type of player like a Matt Forte who plays very and is successful for a longer time than that uh, that three-year window. So why see, I think uh, so much of Dynasty is perceived value. But why do we just expect RBs will flame out at, in these short windows? Meanwhile, we invest in wide receivers like they are our own children and we form this huge sentimental attachment. When I see a player like Dixon, I, I, like, I honestly believe like I said, system-proof in my heart of hearts. I think he will be just a, a phenomenal NFL back. I think he will eventually exceed Derrick Henry because of the fact that he is system-proof. I think there's a certain things that Derrick Henry can and cannot do. I think Dixon is, is going to be a better, well-rounded back, much like Ezekiel Elliott. Probably not as good as Ezekiel Elliott, but uh, – right now. And it'd be interesting to me to see if things were flipped around and, and Dallas drafted Kenneth Dixon maybe like in the second or third round and took took a took a different player in the first round. I think everybody under the sun would just be foaming at the mouth to get to Dixon and see where he went in rookie drafts. I think he would certainly almost be one point zero two behind Elliott. Maybe maybe some people would even jump all over him at one point zero one. But anyway that's my outlandish, and I had to go a little off the wall and crazy because <laughs> it was a it was a hard dilemma. I think the Twitter vote was pretty like eighty two percent to eighteen percent for Dixon, which kind of surprised me. I thought it'd be a little bit closer. How things would even out over the days, but uh, they did not. So, Nick, do you have any rebuttal? Well, I will say that I agree with you that if it's uh, Dixon or Henry, I'm definitely going with uh, with Dixon. Uh, but you know, it just seems to me that too much of a chance of a running back by committee there in Baltimore with so many talented running backs. And it seems like a lot of the things that I'm hearing about Dixon this year, I heard about Buck Allen last year, and, you know, that didn't really come into fruition. Uh, Buck Allen, I think, had just over 500 rushing yards last year. So, you know, whereas Tyler Lockett, we've actually seen him on the NFL field prove it. So, you know, give me the proven talent over the possible possibility of uh, production. That, that's where I, why I would, went with uh, Tyler Lockett. Okay. I'll, and I'll admit, it, it, it would be a hard decision for me to make, and that's why <laughs> I would rather make. I would rather have a rookie draft than a startup and have to take uh, take a player like Dixon over. Obviously, Lockett would be in the rookie draft. But anyway, I don't know what I'm talking about anymore. Um, uh, if you have both of them on your team, be excited. That's that's the moral of the story. Be really excited. Um, uh, best number forty, Nick. There's uh, not a lot, but I think there's some pretty uh, pretty awesome top end talent. What do you, um, and I just this research I did on this, and this is the reason we do stuff like this. I know it's not necessarily fantasy worthy all the time, 
But to find a player like this uh, by the name of Bobby Rope Boyd, a guy that played defensive back for the Colts in the 60s, this is the reason we do stuff like this. Did you know this guy named Bobby Boyd had 57 interceptions in 121 career games? That is insane. That is almost an interception every other game. Now, the all-time leader, Paul Krause, I think was 81 in the 226. And the closest, you know, active guy, Woodson is not active anymore, but he had 65 and 250. So almost one every other game. I mean, think of the ICP repercussions that could have uh, if, you, if you had Boyd and you played fantasy football in the 60s. IDP, no doubt. But anyway, what do you got for us on best number 40, Nick? Well, we'll start with the six-time Pro Bowl fullback, Mike Allstott. He only had 7,300 combined yards, but, you know, one, he was one of the last ball-carrying fullbacks that we've seen in the NFL. Pat Tillman only played four NFL seasons, but, of course, we all know his story of sacrifice. We could not have this list without mentioning Pat Tillman. Uh, Wayne Milner is a Hall of Fame wide receiver who retired with 124 receptions, which at the time put him as Washington's all-time leading receiver. How the game has changed, right? Uh, Dick Anderson went to three straight Pro Bowls as a safety with uh, Miami. Uh, The first Pro Bowl was in the undefeated 1972 season. That was his fifth year. It's surprising to me that with eight interceptions in both 1968 and 1970, that wasn't enough to get a Pro Bowl berth. Uh, Tony Banfield only played from 1960 through 1965, all at Houston. But in those five seasons, he was a three-time All-Pro and won two championships. Uh, the guy you mentioned, Bobby Boyd, the Baltimore Colts cornerback from 1960 through 1968, somehow only went to two Pro Bowls, even though, like you mentioned, 57 interceptions. That's good for 13th all-time. And, uh, again, like you mentioned, he did that in only 121 games. That is just an insane ratio. Uh, James Hasty was a very reliable safety for both seven years in New York with the Jets and six years in Kansas City, and he also played one game with the Raiders at 36 years old. Uh, in his first 13 seasons, he never played less than 15 games. He only went to two Pro Bowls, but he was just such a reliable member for the in the secondary for those two teams, Chiefs and Jets. Uh, Hall of Fame cornerback Mike Haynes wore number 22 in his years with the Raiders, but he did wear number 40 in his first seven seasons with the New England Patriots. Mike Haynes went to nine Pro Bowls, had 46 career interceptions. And normally a nine-time Pro Bowler like Haynes would beat out a four-time Pro Bowler. But Dale Sayers is one of the most iconic names in NFL history. Sayers scored 22 touchdowns as a rookie in 1965, including six touchdowns in one game. Unfortunately, Sayers' career was cut short by two knee injuries. That's truly a shame for the five-time All-Pro and two-time NFL rushing champion. Sayers may have retired with just under 5,000 rushing yards, but just watch some of his highlight reels, and you will see why he is easily the top number 40 of all time. Yeah, I mean, Gale was just, oh, you just, <laughs> if modern technology was what it was back then, we we would have seen something very special. But 22 touchdowns as a rookie, oh, my gosh, that's <laughs> And, and six in one game, yeah. He was the Kansas Comet, as he was, uh, as his nickname was. But yeah, what what an absolutely amazing player, and it's it's just such a shame that his career career wasn't longer. Because I mean, you want to talk about like authentic breakaway back. I mean, that just just a phenomenal player. I mean, I it just it's hard to even like compare somebody to him because he was so. So great, and I think we would have saw, you know, so much more if he would have been able to to continue. Uh, Mike Allstad, yeah, what a what a phenomenon, <laughs> what a phenomenon he was. Because just, I mean, you, you know, I always think when you hear Allstad, I always think of the uh, the Chris the Chris Berman thing with you know doing the doing the boom boom as he carried the ball through the line, and the people just flew off of him like bugs in a windshield. Uh, what uh, what a fun player to watch! Um, absolutely fun player to watch. Yeah. Uh, what? Why don't we move on to uh, dynasty trade analysis? Couple interesting ones here. Um, some different angles to dig. What do you think about Melvin Gordon in the 2017 first for Josh Daxon in a 2017 third? Well, I already mentioned that I'm not a Melvin Gordon believer. So, you know, basically, you know, you're trading away a running back who 
quite possibly could be a giant bust, and a first-round pick for a guy, Josh Toxon, who was pretty much a top-five pick in all rookie drafts this year. And picking up a third-round pick on top of that, I would do that trade in a heartbeat, get rid of Melvin Gordon to get Josh Toxon, even giving up next year's first. Yeah, I was assuming you'd say I'm not giving up on Josh Gordon or Josh Jackson, excuse me, already. Um, yeah, if you can, yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I certainly would not would do that as a Melvin Gordon owner, but uh, obviously wouldn't uh, wouldn't have you do the 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 latter there either. But uh, I guess you know if you if you're running back starved and. Maybe you know, maybe Gordon develops into a, to an efficient player, and you're getting that 2000, an extra 2017 first uh, next year, or, or you didn't have one. So I, I totally disagree with it. I mean, I, I understand it. You know, maybe you already traded your 2017 first, and you want to you want to jump up in there. Like like Nick said, Doxon was probably a top five pick. So maybe that team that you're getting him from is going to give you another top five pick. So uh, I, I I understand it. Maybe if you if you're in the the rebuilding mode there, uh, but uh, nice way to pawn off Melvin Gordon, uh, Leontic Crew and Derrick Henry for Doral Green Beckham. What do you think there, Nick? Uh, I think this was pretty close, but I'm going to side with the uh, team that picked up BGB. Uh, I just think Beckham has a really good opportunity there in Tennessee to grow with with the quarterback, Marcus Mariota. And I know there's been some red flags with Todd J. Sharp is now working with the first team, but, you know, some people also believe that's just a motivational tactic to get Beckham to work a little bit harder. And if that's the case, then hopefully that pans out. Uh, I'm I'm not a big Derrick Henry guy. We've had discussions on the podcast before about some people have questions about his short area quickness and if uh, that's going to hinder his development in the NFL. So I think I would uh, side with the, the team that picked Beckham here. Yeah, a whole lot of potential in all the players in this draft. Um, I do think we'll see a Le- 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 excuse me, Leonte Crew get targets this year. I mean, fifty, sixty targets. I think that's easily doable, especially when you consider they like to use Landry in the slots and they use that three receiver set a, a whole hell of a lot. So there, there's opportunity for him to, uh, to shine through it. Uh, but I also believe that, you know, two years from now that Tajay Sharp and DGB are going to be the the wide receiver one and two there in Tennessee. Um, I think that they could develop into a nice one, two punch, but we don't know, you know, everything coming out of camp this year, you just gotta, this time of year, you gotta speak with a, with a grain of salt. Um, I do like Derrick Henry. I think there's certainly a role for him. I think he's better than Brandon Jacobs ultimately, but we'll we'll see. Uh, and we don't know what we're going to see out of him this year. But I think I think next year is going to be interesting to see all the trades that are going for him because you know, if, especially if he doesn't even see a lot of time this year, I I think he could be a nice little buy candidate next summer. But let's not get too ahead of ourselves. Interesting one here and. I'll pat myself on the back after Nick talks. But with Allen Robinson and Jeremy Hill for Mike Evans and David Johnson. I think I have an idea where you're going to go with this, Nick, but what do you got? Well, yeah, you said this is interesting. To me, this was very surprising that this trade uh, took place. I mean, Allen Robinson and Mike Evans, those two guys are pretty much interchangeable to me. Um, if they had been traded straight across, I would have said it's pretty pretty even trade there. But So then you look at Jeremy Hill and David Johnson. I think the, the side that picked up David Johnson came out light years ahead on this trade. I, Jer- Jeremy Hill's a good back, but he's stuck there in a committee there, uh, especially, you know, they re-upped Jer- uh, Giovanni Bernard there in Cincinnati. So, you know, it's going to be a committee for the next few years anyway, whereas David Johnson has a chance to be a elite every down feature back. So I definitely side with the, the team that picked up Mike Evans and David Johnson. Mm-hmm. Well, Arizona still does have Ellington, and I'm pretty sure they re-signed Chris Johnson as well. So, yeah, And I remember last summer I was telling people, that were all over Jeremy Hill just to, to, you know, maybe he's, he's not this awesome RB one that he was looking out to be in that. That was the case. I mean, and what if I, I, I 
I don't mean this by any means, but what if David Johnson is the Jeremy Hill of this year? I mean, I think that's certainly a possibility. Um, I, I believe in his talent as well, and I think he's going to be a very phenomenal player. But I, you know, I kind of some people thought the same thing about Jeremy Hill last year. You know, people were trading first round picks for him, and, and look what happened. And I and I do think Giovanni Bernard certainly got RB two money. It's not like they gave, they gave him money to be their feature back. They just they know him and they're comfortable with him and what he does in that offense. So, um, and I think. Obviously, Robinson versus Evans. I would give a little bit of advantage to to Evans, or excuse me, to Robinson. I just think he's right now maybe the better player, but we'll see. We'll see how that develops. Um, I just, I just think you know sometimes we get a little overzealous about uh, these second year players, and it's interesting that Jeremy Hill is a part of this, and that's where people are uh, with David Johnson. I'm not saying you're wrong, but uh, we we've seen it developed in that same case last year with, with Jeremy Hill. So I, this does seem like a pretty awesome trait for the side that gets uh, Mike Evans and, and David Johnson, but, uh, you know, time time will ultimately tell. Uh, maybe I should make podcast notes for the future and we can talk about this next summer and we'll see, see where we're at. Um, what do you think about uh, – we're obviously in kind of the down, dynasty downtime at this point, Nick – what what are you doing right now to make your rosters better? Well, I honestly don't do a whole lot this time of year. You know, if veterans are available in your league's rookie draft, then all the decent players are pretty much gone. And I, I don't usually buy into off-season praise from coaches. You know, anybody worthy of making a, even a 90-man roster should look good in practice, you know, seven-on-seven seven drills with no pads. Well, everybody except Robert Griffin, apparently. But anyway, uh, post-rookie draft, my roster is usually set. So I'm not into trading future draft picks right now either. You know, I am I prefer to hold on to my future picks, either to use the draft picks or to trade them mid-season when a hole in my roster appears due to an injury or ineffectiveness. I do, however, study the waiver reports, you know, seeing if another owner releases a player that I believe in. Uh, one last thing, you know, I see owners releasing players way before the roster cut-down date, which, you know, is usually in most leagues pri- just prior to week one. And I just don't understand why they're doing that. So many things can happen. You know, for example, Donald Brown, who is now one of New England's many running backs, looks to be unworthy of a roster spot. But if injuries were to strike Deion Lewis, LeGarrette Blunt, and James White in the preseason or training camp, then Donald Brown would definitely be a popular ad. And, you know, nothing stings more than having to spend precious waiver wire money on a player that you cut for no reason, right? Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, the roster's swell this time for of year for a reason so let them swell even if you even if you're you know a little heavy after the draft pick up a couple more players if you if you have an inkling that you think there'll be something and if you know that where they're going to sit in the depth chart then then you can cut them but why i mean why why carry 42 players when you're when you can carry 55 i mean that doesn't, that doesn't make any sense they there you have this space right now this time for a reason you know if somebody drops somebody that you like pick them up you know they are obviously they're obviously down on them at the time so there's there's an opportunity for for you to make your team better so yeah i say let those rosters swell there's a reason in our 16 team link that i have like seven quarterbacks right now and i i i have jacoby Brissett. i'm gonna use him ever probably not and i'll certainly probably cut him but hey what if what if this Brady is actually suspended and Jimmy G gets hurt I mean he's all they have left obviously I'm grabbing at straws there but you know why not I have the roster space to do so right now um you know I some people try to get down during the draft and and drop players I I just I just don't understand that I do like one of our one of our friends our, our old buddy from the old podcast Nick V, I think he likes to drop when you know when we do our rookie drafts. He likes to drop players during. I've seen him drop players during the draft, and they get drafted. The veteran players get drafted, and that's not necessarily a, a bad move. If like I, I did that in the DFW thirty six draft. I dropped Danny Allen, Danny Amendola, and he got drafted the next day. So, if you want a player to fall to you, 
maybe this is maybe that's kind of a weird strategy, but maybe maybe drop a, an enticing older player that you you just don't don't believe in anymore, or didn't don't have a don't have plans for it because you want to keep your your roster younger. But I, I've seen I've seen him do that, and then I've seen people pick up that player after he does that. So I I, I kind of like that move. It's an interesting uh, strategy, but uh, certainly certainly worth a gamble, don't you think? Yeah, that 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 strategy is definitely uh, playing chess while the rest of the league's playing checkers. I would think. <laughs> uh, but that's just our buddy V. He's a interesting cat, and he uh, he knows what he's doing. He's kind of a kind of a silent assassin, but yeah, he does he knows what he's doing, and it seems to seems to help him out in the long run. So, um, that is all we have for you today. Uh, any closing thoughts there, Nick? Um, I will just add that uh, I did see Dallas's second round pick, uh, Jalen Smith. I believe uh, he's not having much. Uh, He's not having much luck in uh, recovering from that knee, uh, nerve damage in his knee. So, real shame there. Hopefully, he can get back and contribute at some point. Obviously, I'm not a Cowboys fan, but, you know, you never root for a guy to get injured. So, hopefully, Jalen Smith can eventually become a pretty good player for a uh, uh, losing that cow- Cowboys team. Yeah, I don't think uh, you're too heartbroken about about the Cowboys losing on their second-round pick there, that's for sure. Um but you never I know. Was, so so hopefully yeah. the young man can come back healthy and and contribute at the, in the NFL. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. And they they I think Dallas realized the risk they were taking. And you know it was a second round pick. We'll see how many people from this, you know, look in the past, see how many second round players panned out. Not 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 necessarily uh, all the time. So we'll see. I think it's I think it's a risk that that was worth taking for them because. If he's to come back healthy at any time this year and be be the player that he was in college, that is a huge jolt to their defense. So, so I, I think it was worth it. It's, it's it's a shame, and it'll it'll suck if he doesn't get to play a snap at all this year. But I think it's certainly uh, certainly worth a shot there for for Dallas. It's, you you gotta you gotta be bold and risky. I think, and sure they could have taken another player, but what if you know that that player could just not not necessarily pan out at all, not because of injury, just because the game is bigger than that. So uh, that is all we have for you today. Next week we have uh, professional quarterback trainer Chris Hickson. So we'll talk – I'm sure we'll mention Hackenberg in there at some point in time. So we'll we'll talk about that and maybe he can shed some light on some some people that he's worked with and stuff. So look forward to that next week. Uh, Nick, as always, thank you very much, and I, and I do apologize for the mishap at the beginning of the podcast. I, I will get that situation fixed later on. Thank you, uh, as always, Nick. Have a good week, buddy. You too, Josh. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Dynasty Bowl Podcast with Jake Gilkey, Rester Swagger, and Johnson. 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 Johnson